Hello and welcome to La Pausa Pod Classical Preview Edition. It's myself and Jamie this week with an episode full of stats, tactics and insights from La Liga. We'll get into the Classical in just a second, but before we do, we wanted to take a quick look at some of the things that we've been focusing on since we last recorded, namely Sevilla under Diego Alonso, who looked very competent all of a sudden. Alonso couldn't really have asked for a more difficult start. They played Real Madrid in La Liga and then Arsenal in the Champions League a couple of days later. They come out of those two games with one point, which doesn't sound great, but they played really well in both, or they played well enough in both to, to definitely get us excited about Sevilla again. They they pushed Arsenal all the way. What, what are your initial thoughts under Diego Alonso, Jamie? Yeah, impressed after two games, uh, having not known a great deal about him uh, until he arrived. But kind of made me laugh in the first game against Real Madrid because do you remember when Mendilibar came in after San Paoli and everyone was was relieved to be not overloaded with information and playing this this really simplistic game. Watching Alonso's first match, I felt like we'd gone the opposite way where players were actually enjoying being able to get on the ball and have connections ahead of them and actually not just pump the ball forward and, and play off second balls and this direct game. So immediate thoughts after two games are... You know, it, they look like a very competitive team to begin, but also this looks like just a more long-term viable strategy for Sevilla and something that you never really felt was there with Mendilibar, even though they got the big prize of the Europa League. It just felt that had uh, a, a real expiration date on it. I think, that, like you said there, about how they, they're they not just kick and rush anymore, but... At the same time, they can press really high because one of the things that really stood out in those two games particularly is that midfield of, of Sumare and Gibriel Sau. They they completed 99 of 101 passes between them in, 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 in the first game. And I think that's the key to everything. Now, I, I would have... I was impressed with that. I think they look really good. But I would be concerned about the long-term capacity for Rakitic to do the work that he's doing. He's playing as a second striker out of possession when they push up. And he's dropping back and having to get involved in build-up. He's having to chase in transition. And, and I just wonder, <laughs> how, how how is this man still going, firstly? And how much longer can he do this for? Yeah, it's it, it doesn't feel like um, the manager has got a guy that he can really fix at that number 10 position if he wants to keep playing this 4-2-3-1. Rakitic is a good player and he'll definitely be leaned on by Alonso to be an important player in the team. But yeah, I, def- I definitely agree that there are, there are questions about whether he can be the all-energy player that they'll need in that position because one thing's for sure, Alonso wants to be really aggressive out of possession. That, that's not going to change. Uh, too much from what Mendilibar asked. It's quite a similar shape still as well. So Alonso will probably tinker with that midfield eventually. But yeah, I, I think we can probably give a mention to Sumari as well. I think you've been impressed by him too. He's been uh, among the best news for Sevilla at the start of this uh, this new tenure as well. We've got a podcast coming up in the in a couple of weeks' time when we when we get a chance. Our our top five. 
signings of the summer and he's after he's sneaking in there now all of a sudden having not appeared at all and another one although he's probably not going to feature in that podcast but Sergio Ramos a shout out to him I was worried when he signed with Sevilla I was just like well, what are they doing sometimes I think these moves can I, I do fear for them because I just you know like Sergio Ramos whether you like him or not he's a legend of Spanish football he, he's he's just a special player uh, in the hearts and minds of, of Spanish football fans. And I was worried that he was going to come back and just kind of completely look out of, out of place. He's looked really good in fairness to him, swinging a lot of balls out to Jesus Navas reeling in the years there. And a shout out to him too. And he actually makes, he helps it to build up. And he also, one other thing, just on Jesus Navas, I'd like to see maybe Pepe Lu, Pepe Lu Sanchez, or sorry, Juan Lu Sanchez featuring a little bit more. He came on against Arsenal, a little bit imprecise, a little bit, a lot of nervous energy there. But I thought that, I think that if if they can start to introduce him, it would it would bring the average age of the team down and also bring energy to that right-hand side where... Luke Vacchio is being asked to do a lot more defensively, and that could free him up a little bit more. I think if that's have you have you considered that at all? Yeah, I really like Wadlu, um, Wadlu Sanchez. He was one of those guys we picked from uh, preseason mm. as one to watch. Um, just a really, he just looks like a, a really solid all round footballer. Uh, he's not always been a right back. It was something that he basically transformed into when he went out and loaned to Mirandez last season playing as uh, a fullback and a wingback but he just looks like a, a really strong boy and he just makes good decisions when he's on the ball so he's definitely someone that I think will Alonso will like um, in the same way that I think Mendilibar did but didn't quite have the time to, to bring him in mm. um, and yeah just to mention on Ramos as well I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed watching him in a game where he was on the underdog team and not playing as this dominating centre back for for the absolute favourite in the match. You know, this big, you know, Real Madrid or PSG. It was, uh, yeah, you just you just have to respect that man. He's such a competitor in in those big games as well. They Sevilla have definitely won something there by bringing in that presence. You know, we had doubts about his age and, and physical state, but not too many worries there so far. And already he is their best passing defender. That, that's that's pretty clear. And now with Alonso, he gets the chance to express that. And under Mendilibar, there were I read something that there was you know disagreements between how they wanted to build the play from the back once Ramos came in. So yeah, he's he looks like a penciled in starter for Sevilla now, which is uh, quite surprising. Definitely. It, it is it is that much easier to cheer for him when he is on the underdog team back with his hometown club. And I, I just loved seeing him against against Rudiger, grabbing him by the cheeks because <laughs> the, the way that Rudiger is in games, like I've heard reports from training at Real Madrid and stuff, that that's just the way he is. He's crazy. He's he just 100% all the time diving into challenges and in training games and stuff. And he's he's insane. In the, in the, insanely competitive. And Hit to see him and Ramos going up against it, and I was just like, "Well, Ramos isn't backing down here either." So it's just so much fun to watch, and yeah, definitely a, a good one. And then just finally, maybe, maybe something to consider on on Sevilla. Uh, another throwback. I what year is it? Like seriously, 
Mariano Diaz come on against against Arsenal. Now I know that it was a very uh, situational substitution. They were just launching balls into the box at that point, just trying to get their way back into it. But he looked lively. Now, having said that, in a more organised game, I don't know if Mariano has the tools to 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 to, to help you that much. Yeah. But if you're looking for a little bit of chaos, Mariano Diaz is the man. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd compare him kind of to uh, Raul de Tomas at Rio in that if you can get him in front of goal in goal-scoring situations and he's just the finisher, he can be a, like a valuable asset. But his overall game, especially now that Alonso is in and he wants to be a really aggressive team from the front, I just don't see how Mariano could be could be a, a regular starter with all the things that is required of a number nine now. It looked like they brought him on in kind of a, a left-sided uh, wing role in this match, but he basically just stayed up top given the the situation of the match. And yeah, if you're looking for positives, he was, he was definitely involved and he made some things happen in the box, but still a massive question mark on what he's going to actually provide for Sevilla. <laughs> Oh yeah, just for the record, I'm not advocating for him as a starter, but but maybe he, he provides something. Um, we haven't seen him in so long. I mean, he hasn't played football, but just just on the point about intensity for Sevilla was something that you had brought up about how, how often Jude Bellingham was fouled. He was kind of limping around at the end of the game. Me and you had chatted before they played Braga in the Champions League, thinking Bellingham is going to be rested here. He wasn't. He was brought off in the like 88 minute, which almost felt like just a, a like uh, a, a joke, some sick joke on, on, on the poor man trying to get a break. But they, he he has looked just right at the limit physically. Ancelotti has said it's not going to be a problem for the Clasico. And obviously he's still, Drew Bellingham, got the goal against Braga. How have you seen him in the last couple of games? Yeah, I would be a little bit, not concerned, but you would need to be attentive to a situation at this point. Against Braga, there were definitely situations in the second half where Real Madrid were just overloaded at the back post on the left because Bellingham was, was slow to get back. And, you know, if, if Bellingham is not getting back on time, it's not for a lack of trying or not being switched onto the game. He's just, he'd gone up the pitch and as, as you know, as good as he is physically, he just didn't have the legs to be up and down for ninety minutes because he's he's playing so often for for club and country. Um, and you know when you play Bellingham, he's he's going to absolutely empty the tank, what whatever game it is. So, Ancelotti said after the game, you know, he's not worried about him. He's definitely tired, but they don't expect it to be a problem for for recovering for the Clasico. But yeah, uh, to see him be fouled seven times in that severe game and there were probably a few more where he could have been given the free kick um one to watch for how teams go about stopping him we'd imagine that Romeo will start the Classico he's not looked great in recent weeks but I think Xavi will feel like he needs a bit of a bodyguard presence to to at least just bother Bellingham and maybe chip away at him and and rack up some fouls so yeah we'll see we'll see on uh on Saturday. Camavinga was a standout performer in that Braga game as the pivot. Ancelotti said he likes him in that position. He said he thought he played well and he and he clearly did. He's he's I would assume he's not gonna start 
in the Classico as the pivot with Chomini and Cruz both rested for that game and likely making up that midfield with, with Valverde and then Bellingham, Rodrigo and Vinicius. But the big question is around Belli- around what Bellingham is going to be asked to do is the left-back position for Real Madrid. Fran Garcia started there against Braga. Mendy started there against Sevilla. And it's between those two and Camavinga. Do you think... And, and one, of, one of the key uh, features of the game against Braga was getting the ball out quickly to Vinicius, who, who has looked a lot more plugged in, a lot more connected to the team. And looks like he's getting back to himself after a slow start to the season. Do, do does Ancelotti go all out attack and play uh, Fran Garcia or does he does he go conservative and play Camavinga, protect Vinicius, protect that left hand side so that then Bellingham won't be asked to do as much? Because like you said, the goal, for example, came when Bellingham sorry, the goal against Braga came when Bellingham was playing on the left and chasing the Shakhtar Donetsk right midfielder. Braga. And so who did I say? Shakhtar. Shakhtar. Barca, yeah. Braga, yeah. The and and he he just couldn't get back, and it wasn't for a lack of trying. He just it, it well just physically just it was too far a distance to cover, but he did try to get there. And so, what what do you think Ancelotti does there for the classical? I don't expect it to be Fran Garcia because I I think like you said he'll want to protect that left side more or, or as much as possible because Vinicius is going to be hanging out on that left sort of position on the halfway line to try and launch transitions every time they can. So I don't see Fran Garcia up there because he's a guy who he's not giving you too much inside or in, in deeper areas. He wants to be almost like a wing back. So I think it's between Mendy and Camavinga. Personally, I'd go for Camavinga because I'm... I'm not horrified by the Camavinga left back situation. I, I think. No, me too. I like it. Yeah, I know. I um, Camavinga played well against Braga, like you said. Ancelotti praised him, but he's an absolute jewel monster. You look at his stats from the every game he plays. You know, tackles, interceptions, fouls. Uh, I mean, not as a positive in that last aspect, but he's he's just unbelievably competitive and. Remember how well he played in that Girona game at left back, um, up against probably the best team Roma did have faced in recent in recent weeks. Obviously, they got beat by Atletico, but when that big game rolled around, Ancelotti went for Camavinga, and I was listening to him recently say, you know, talk about players playing out of position, and he said it's as simple as he goes to Camavinga and says, "Can you play left back for me?" And he says, "Yes," and then that's it. All the noise comes from people like us after all, you know, it, it, it's not a huge problem or not as big a problem, I think, as the media makes it out to be. The So Ancelotti on, on the defense, the defensive approach and setting up in transitions, his, his quote was, what we've tried in recent games on a defensive level is to have a line of four in the middle of the pitch. Bellingham sacrifices himself a lot and Vinicius can be fresher for transitions. Vinny was really dangerous today. This was against Braga. I think they work well together with the ball. Bellingham moves inside and Vinny moves wide. Grand. I, I don't think we can overstate here. Bellingham, you nearly have to protect him from himself because like you said, he wants to do all the work. 
but it's a matter for the manager of making sure that he isn't put in a position where he has to do it because he will. But and this is why I think that Camavinga will start at 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 left back because I think Camavinga has to start somewhere and he's not starting in that midfield. So I I think the only solution is to have him as the left back. Yeah, I agree. Um, and Camavinga, especially more so than the Mendy and Fran Garcia, can at times you know step into midfield and and add an extra body. There might be, say, Real Madrid are struggling to hold onto the ball in the game on Saturday. I know we're gonna they're gonna look for transitions and they're gonna have less of the ball than Barcelona. We assume. But Camavinga is, you know, he's like a total footballer in many ways. Once you put him at fullback, because he can do so many things. So as long as his concentration is good and his positioning is not exposed, I think Ancelotti and his staff have enough to give Camavinga the information he needs and, and advice on how to manage the position defensively. Once you're on the ball, then... Yeah, he's he's going to add a lot and intensity-wise, he needs to be on the pitch, like you said, no matter what position for a game like this, I think, because Real Madrid have a a pretty big advantage physically, I think, and especially if you can get Camavinga in the mix as well. We're going to talk about our, 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 our two 11s that we think are going to start in just a bit. And we just have so many questions around that because it's just such a uh, fascinating game, mind game between Ancelotti and Xavi as to what they do. Because obviously Joe Cancelo is going to be the right back. And that's exactly where Barcelona looked weak at against Shakhtar Donetsk at times when Joe Cancelo pushed up. And they didn't have the cover, so it's it's a matter of whether Ancelotti says, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna go at them here, and that's when you play a more more attacking left back, or or even give Camavinga the the license to go forward more often. Although I don't really think that suits him out wide. But on and we'll move now on to Barcelona and Shakhtar Donetsk before we get into the actual Clasico and and and, our, and some of the stats around that. The the big. The man of the moment was Fermin Lopez, played in an interior. Romeo, you said, Ilkay Gundogan and himself. And then it was Yamal on the right, Joe Felix on the left, and Ferran Torres, the false nine, dropping deep and letting Gundogan move forward when he did drop deep. And a lot of, lot of kind of dynamic movement between them. But conceded the goal, like I said, Romeo looked completely outmatched physically on the, on the break. And I wonder... That's something Xavi has spoken about. He said, what's the what's the goal here in the Classico, the most important aspect? And he says, to dominate the ball. One loss of the ball and Madrid can destroy you. What are we? What, what did you think of that Barcelona-Shakhtar-Donetsk game? I thought for an hour it was a good performance and they looked like they were coasting into the Classico with, you know, out many complications and, and a pretty decent performance. Obviously, Firmin stealing the show as well, like you say. So there were lots of good things. And then that last half hour was just, it was just verging on ridiculous what Barcelona fell into. It was kind of like a, a playground game where they just lost all sense of structure and, and players were kind of looking out for themselves and trying to, you know, 
score their goals or take off on dribbles, do their tricks. I mean, the run from Cancelo, which leads to Shakhtar Donetsk's uh, counter-attack, which they get the goal from, is just was just absurd. I mean, Cancelo and Felix, uh, we know they're expressive players and they've added some, some really good things to Barcelona, but they, they can't fall into that level of sloppiness and playing with, with an ego of sorts because, yeah... You could sense the discontent from the crowd once they saw those decisions starting to be made. So they got away with it in the end with that last half hour. But yeah, it left a, a bit of a bittersweet taste for from what should have been a, a pretty routine night, I thought. I suppose that's been the story of Barcelona recently in that they have looked well at times, but far from convincing either. Although you could say that about Real Madrid as well. Barcelona faced four shots in the first 60 minutes of the game and then they faced seven in the last 30 minutes. And I just wonder, I mean, I I don't think we can talk about Barcelona without talking about the injuries, firstly. When Frankie de Jong is absent, and obviously Gabi was absent from the game against Shakhtar because he was suspended, although a nice chance to give him a break because I think he's going to be important on Cruz in the Clásico. But Romeo and Ilkay Gundogan as the... And I think that's actually what was a a big part of the problem for Barcelona by the end. Those two players are playing... It's almost like they became one in a way and and, and they lost uh, the balance between the lines and and Gundogan was sitting deeper, Romeo was sitting deeper and they were almost... And and fairness, Shakhtar Donetsk did push up on them they were struggling to build up. They were, they were, they weren't able to break out from that press, and yeah, uncharacteristically stop even from someone like Ter Stegen. And although credit to, to Shakhtar Donetsk for being able to disrupt them, do you with Frank? So when Frankie De Jong is back, and I suppose this is kind of for another another week when when he is back because he's not going to be back for the classical, but. Does he start as a pivot in place of Romeo? Because obviously Romeo brings a lot on the ball, but he does look out of place and he does look outmatched physically out of possession. Yeah, it's um, Romeo's last few games. I don't know whether it's just my perception, but it felt like he's been behind the play a lot out of the ball and sort of trying to recover desperately. He's He looks pretty... I don't know how to describe it really, but kind of stiff with, with his movements and his turning, which he never really felt like that showed up a lot when he was at Girona. But I don't know whether it's now because Barcelona dominate territory more and they've got more space behind their back that Romeo's having to cover longer distances, especially when they lose the ball. Um, but yeah, I, I think long-term Romeo's place in the starting eleven is... It should be in question. And De Jong has to be the guy to fill that role with with support from whether it's Cancelo joining midfield as well or Gunnugan dropping deeper, Pedri when he's back uh, to help manage that build-up. But yeah, for for Romeo, it wasn't a great last audition, especially when you know how good Real Madrid are physically and the pace they're going to have in transition, especially if... Bellium, Valverde, really try and get up the pitch hard in transition because, you know, Romeo is not going to be able to live with them if if Barcelona can't control the ball. So 
like you mentioned with the Xavi quote, any any loss of the ball in this match for, for Barcelona is going to be a problem with Romeu and especially if Cancelo is not disciplined with his positioning uh, and his decision-making. We are just talking about Bellingham, obviously, earlier and doubts about him. And I guess this is exactly... I, I think he's, he's so inevitable. After He scored against Athletic Club in his debut in La Liga. He scored against Union Berlin in his debut for, in the Champions League. And he has a chance now to become the first ever player for Real Madrid to score in both his La Liga debut, his Champions League debut, and his first official game in the Clasico. And is anyone doubting him? I, I'm certainly not, because I think that that battle between Bellingham and Romeo is going to be just so important. I think Gabby stepping, like, so, so, so the reason why I say that is so important around the middle of the field is because well, obviously, just because it's an important area of the field, but because by playing Gundogan as the as the deeper left interior, he loses a lot of what makes him what has made him so important for Man City. What is what his ingenuity around the box, and and I think that Barcelona lose a little bit of that when he's being asked to play a more running game up and down. Frankie de Jong in that role is, is perfect. And I think that that's the reason why. So Joe Felix, you mentioned him earlier about like ego and kind of playing for himself. In one way, he is doing everything he possibly can to influence games. But the production just isn't there. And I watch him, I watched him playing for Barcelona now in in basically every game he's played and he is heavily involved since he joined the club and since his debut against Osasuna no player has had more attacking sequence involvement so 6.9 per game for for Joe Felix and only and this is players with at least 500 minutes played in that time so Joe Felix is first Ilkay Gundogan Robert Lewandowski Joe Felix is incredibly talented, obviously, but the production just isn't there. He started off his um his time at Barcelona, obviously, with four goals and assists. Sorry, five goals and assists in his first four games. So Osasuna, then he then he got a goal against Betis. He had two goals and an assist against Royal Antwerp. He had an assist against. Celta Vigo but since then in his last six games he only has one assist and that came against Athletic Club but what what is so what's why isn't the production there (laughs) (laughs) um I think he's been quite unlucky recently to be honest I feel like he has played well in the last league game against Athletic he makes that that really nice assist for for the winning goal, and I think he he has been a pretty insistent force, and he's taken on responsibility in games where Barcelona have needed it. In the Granada game, I felt like he played pretty well there as well. Probably should have had assists in recent matches, but for whatever reason, has not happened. Um, but yeah, going into a Clasico when the numbers in themselves have dried up, even if you think he's playing well, which which I do. 
if he plays against Real Madrid in the Clasico and, and doesn't really impact the game in an attacking sense, then, you know, questions are going to start being asked in the media. I don't think it's um, a huge problem yet because his performances are not lagging too far behind the production. Probably a, a bit similar to what Rodrigo has been like, where he's playing not at his best, he's playing fine, but until the Braga game, the goals and assists had just not been there. So I think those two, uh, it's quite a nice parallel between them heading into the weekend where two two star attackers on either side are just not finding the numbers that um, will cause people to start asking questions uh, in a wider sense. I think Frankie De Jong coming back in on that left-hand side for Barcelona will help. And that's why I think it's so important because with Frankie De Jong, Joe Felix did look more productive. With Lewandowski, Joe Felix did look more productive. And I think he's just kind of a little bit on an island out there. And I, I do agree that I think he's playing well, but I just can't understand this lack of production because this is a problem that he had with Atletico as well, although very, very different situations, I guess, and different styles. But just, just a, a stat there on Felix, he... He's played 452 minutes against Real Madrid without scoring or assisting in during his time with Atletico and Chelsea. And the only other team he has played against more times without scoring or assisting is against Barcelona. So, I mean, this is it's big, big game players and we talk about that. Now, I guess... We he he's not gonna. The those stats are there, obviously, and you can see them. But is does he need a big game? He, he like because these are these are the games that uh, Barcelona signed him for. Yeah, given their injury situation, you look at what the lineup is probably going to be at the weekend, and if Gundogan has to play deeper because of the lack of De Jong and Pedri then Felix is is going to have to be the creative guy in the opposition half because Femin might get a start. I hope he does because I just really like watching him play and he was brilliant against Shakhtar last night. Um, but yeah, Felix is going to have to be the creative influence in the opposition half if, yeah, or, or given Barcelona's injury situation, no, no Rafinha, no Lewandowski, no Pedri, um, there are a lot of big players missing, which moves Felix closer to, you know, a starring role in this match, theoretically. So, yeah, he's, there's always going to be a knock on Felix of, is he an aesthetic player or is he an effective player? And like I said, I, I think he's been playing well. I do think his performance against Athletic in, in what was a tough game where they needed him to get over the line was was pretty good in the end. Um so yeah, for his sake, given that the fact he's at Barcelona on loan and he's he's trying to build his individual case to be signed, which will probably take quite a bit of money, this would be a very good time to to come up with something. That's my exact point there that I was trying to make very poorly. Is he an aesthetic player or is he an effective player? <laughs> and I mean, you can you can score as many goals as you want against Royal Antwerp, but it's, it's going to be in the Classicals where you're judged. And this is where my beef starts with Joe Fidesz because I love watching him play. He's technically excellent. But then at the same time, you're going like, where are the goals? Where like You look back at his stat sheet and you're like, hold on, he hasn't actually done anything. <laughs> 
on he hasn't affected the scoreboard in the last six games barely. But anyway, he is playing well. And, and just just before we, we're going to get on now to to both some classical stats historically between Gabby and Carlo Ancelotti, and then our preferred 11s and some of the details on that. But I just wanted to touch on the, the injury crisis at Barcelona, and one player in particular is Pedri. This has been going on now. I was looking back at his injury stats and missing huge chunks of time with hamstring injuries. This has been going on now for two and a half years. At what point do we become really, really concerned about this? Um. Yeah, it's um, it's just really disappointing. Speaking as a neutral sense, to not see him play, and especially in games like Clasico coming up, um, and it's a problem for for Xavi as well because he always says to be Barcelona manager is not about just winning; it's about how you do it. And the longer he's in charge kind of the less uh, patience people have with him when Barcelona not reaching this, you know, this ultimate final form of, of being a team who wins and does it in a Barcelona way with attractive football. And and let, until Pedri is on the pitch regularly, I feel like we have to put that aside a bit because Barcelona are not going to be both of those things while Pedri is not there. A winning machine who plays unbelievably fluent football in, in a style that everybody wants. You know, Xavi is troubleshooting at the moment because of the injury crisis. And Pedri is probably the guy who influences the team's collective play as much as anyone. You could probably argue De Jong um, as well. But um, Pedri is the classic Barcelona interior. So until he's on the pitch with Gundogan and and De Jong, I think we kind of have to temper our expectations of the, the absolute best form of football that Barcelona can achieve. So Classico coming up, a lot riding on the result, of course, but there will be a microscope on how Barcelona play as well because, you know, this is this is the game where Barcelona want to win, but they also want to show that they are, you know, they are in control of events and Pedri not being there makes that harder, as does De Jong not being there. So, yeah. Real Madrid have had more possession than Barcelona in a league classical game just once in the 34 games in Opta's database dating back to 2006, 2007, that 54% in May 2008. And it's probably going to be a fight for possession in this game, given how important Cruz has been to Real Madrid this season. Although we thought that he was kind of going to be transitioned out just as Modric has been. And but he is so important and although it's it's not in it's real madrid are away from home so maybe that real madrid prefer to just sit and and catch barcelona on the counter carlo ancelotti has played against javi alonso seven times now in the classical javi hernandez javi Javi (laughs) hernandez has played seven times against ancelotti in the in, in classical so and there's been four wins for Xavi and three losses Ancelotti has been on the bench for 13 classicals during his time at Real Madrid all told and he has won six of them drawn seven of, or sorry lost seven of them not one draw in those 13 games is 
Is that all competitions for Ancelotti? 13 games? Yeah, yeah, and all competitions, yeah. Yeah, oh no, I, th- I just thought it'd be more than that. Yeah, he is the, he is the, he has the joint second most victories for, in, in Classicals, along with Francisco Brew, Luis Maloney and Zinedine Zidane, they're all on six. And the only manager who has more is Miguel Munoz, who won 16 in 36 Classicals. So if Ancelotti can mastermind a victory on Saturday afternoon, it'll be on seven and that will move him into second place all on his own. So anyway, moving on, we are going to just have a chat now about our preferred 11s. And I think, I think we're pretty set on, on Real Madrid. The only position that I consider being any doubt over is left back are we agreed on that yeah 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 i think um it will be i know they started the season playing the 442 diamond but i think in recent weeks it has become more of a, a 4222 with bellingham and valverde basically coming inside from theoretical wider roles yeah and cruz and chomini were rested at uh, on wednesday both of them come on but Sorry, Cruz didn't come on. Chumini come on, but so that 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 will be really important for them. The only issue we have really here is left back, um, and like we said, we're we're cut torn between three, and we're we're leaning towards Camavinga. Now it gets interesting when we start to talk about Barcelona because Ter Stegen, Cancelo, Araujo, Christian Simbalde, Romeo Gundogan, and Gavi, we presume, and then. I think this is really the, the line where it gets interesting. Ferran on the right, Fermin as a potential false nine, and Felix, or or is, is that's what you're leaning towards? Yeah. Yeah, I've in my mind I would go real false nine in this game because I think I think it's so important that Barcelona have controlled this game as much as possible, especially in the early phase. Like Chabi said, he's already clearly very concerned about keeping the ball and preventing losses so I think the more plays that it, they can commit to that central area and to have control of the game from from the defenders will be one of the most important things about this match so yeah I think for me watching him last night as well his his crispness on the ball how how quickly he gets the ball under control and out of his feet to to make decisions. I think Xavi will probably be increasingly confident that he can play a play like Fermin in a in a big match like this because do you remember when Yamal came into the team and he made a big point of saying kind of in comparison to Rafinha and Dembele that the thing he liked most about Yamal was that he made good decisions and he didn't turn the ball over easily so that's probably one of the big things with younger players who are on the verge of cracking the team is can I trust them to to not be sloppy with the ball and put us in bad positions with with turnovers. So, yeah, I would go for mean false nine in this match. And then you can obviously rotate with, with Felix or Ferran. There can be lots of uh, interchangeability in that front line if, if you need it. Yeah, I think that... Uh, the- Javi is going to go with the hot hand and Fermin Lopez, obviously the talk of the town, signed a new contract. He's just 20, scored a Champions League debut and has been 
like you said, just really, really solid. There was one stage against against Shakhtar Donetsk, the twenty year old kid from kid from the academy was was yelling at the older players to just calm down and keep the ball when Ronald Araujo kicked it away, and he was just kind of saying, "Relax, you know." So I do think he starts. It's just a matter of where, and 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 I guess in one way, as long as he's on the field, Javi can change his role, and I think that he can play either as that interior. He can play as the false nine or, or as a nine, which is gonna to have to be a false nine. I maybe on the right too with and Ferran that that could be quite interchangeable. Like you said, we haven't mentioned Lamine Yamal. Do we not think he's gonna start or play? Yeah, I, I kind of just don't think Xavi will trust him to start a big match like this. He has been playing recently, but I mean he's still sixteen years old. This is going to be a very physical game with 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 so much emotion in it. Yeah, I feel like putting him up against um, Kamavinga. If he got selected left back, Kamavinga will will really yeah, test you. Yeah, he's he's a monster yeah. in the duels. So I think it might just be a little bit too early for Yamal to start a match like this. But yeah, willing to be proved wrong because we'll see um, how ambitious Xavi wants to be if he starts Yamal on the right side then yeah that's that'd be a pretty brave move I think not a brave move if it's Frank Garcia or Ferland Mendy though because I think that that can be exploited but yeah like we said this is until we kind of know the teams we can kind of get a better picture but until then we're there, there are a couple of positions where we're not sure we can we can have a we can have a look and guess but a, a lot of this is is going to come down to exactly what positions or what teams they pick and ju- just another player who i wanted to touch on mark uh, Giu, who came on obviously and scored the winner against athletic bilbao and come on again against Shakhtar donetsk and i was i just wanted to ask you now he's not going to start I, I don't think javi would trust him but i'll tell you what if and now uh, Rudiger is just too and, and Alibar just way too experienced and too strong and too physical for for him. But if Javi wanted to throw a little bit of a uh, a spanner into the into into the works here, he, he he could start him because he's he's a big boy. He's very physical. He does a lot of pressing, a lot of running. But presuming he's not going to start, which I don't think he will, and I'll set the over under on his minutes at twenty. Do you think he goes over or under that? Um, I I would say under. I think he's probably uh, depending on the the scoreline, he's probably a last ten minutes guy if Chubby feels like it. Um, but just from watching Rudiger this season, I think it would be a mistake to give him number nine reference to really body up against and yeah. and engage that those are just the matchups that he loves and that's kind of why I favor the false nine approach in this game I think for Barcelona it has to be about creating confusion over matchups and trying to drag those and the backs towards the ball and find the space behind them rather than let's say build attacks wide and try find somebody like um G- G- is it Giu or, or Giu? I've not actually looked yet, but um, yeah. Uh, ch- the reason I said Giu is because somebody asked him after the game and he gave an example. It's 
a gi like guitarra, like the way you say guitarra. So gi and then oo, so gi oo. That's 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 why I said it so confidently, Jamie. Ah. Usually I'm like, yeah, I usually I'm <laughs> asking you, but I saw a tweet saying that's how he says it. So oh, perfect. That's from that's from him. Perfect. Yeah, but um, if they were to just build attacks in wide areas and try to connect with cutbacks or crosses, um, those are probably the types of matchups that Rudiger will enjoy. So he's been good this season, by the way. I think I wasn't overly keen on him last season, Rudiger. There were lots of inconsistencies and moments of rashness, but without Militao uh, next to him, he's, um, yeah, we have to give him credit. I mean, you're always a bit nervous to give Rudiger credit because he is a pretty wild guy. He could probably get sent off with a, a two-footed lunge in the opening minute of this match and you wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, credit to him for, for how he's played so far this season. And I think you're right there about not giving him a reference point because we saw him against Haaland and, and there was another performance where where he was he, he had that number nine to 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 fixate on and he was yeah. e- e- excellent. I remember... Who, uh, was it, was it Napoli? man. Oh yeah, that was it. That was exactly it, yeah. And the two of them, his two best games. So I think you're right. I mean, putting Mark... Just feeding Mark Gio to the wolves there. And... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But but I will say, just just um, well, I I I think he's going to get more than twenty minutes. You know, you mentioned it depends on the scoreline. I think it's going to be a purely game state situation. But if Real Madrid find themselves a goal up, I think Javi brings him on a little bit earlier because I love what he does in the press. I I think he he closes well. He's aggressive. He even got booked against Athletic Club for a pretty wild lunge on on Unai Simon trying to block the ball and just he's got that energy maybe but but I, I guess it will depend on on game state we've got a special guest coming on next week to discuss the classical the, 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 some tactical insights and we we look forward to that the game kicks off on saturday afternoon and where will you be watching from jamie um i will be racing home from the leeds match to try and get on for kickoff but um yeah It'll probably be a game I watch twice anyway, so yeah, not a big deal if mm. I get caught in traffic. Yeah, who do Leeds play? Um, Huddersfield. It's a twelve thirty kickoff, so yeah, I will be. Uh, I'll probably be sat in the stands waiting for lineup news from from the Classico rather than watching Leeds. Um, we're currently third, so we're kind of a, a ways behind the top two, which is pretty frustrating. So yeah, you. You were talking about Victor Orta before, just just on Leeds, and we we you talked about Diego Alonso being a bit of a left field choice. Just to to to, to come full circle here on the podcast, it's pay. It looks like he he, he had he's got he's got something here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as somebody watches La Liga, I I hope so. I, I don't really. You know, I'm I'm not out looking for uh, Victor Otto to fail with everything he does from now on. So, uh, yeah, he's um, it's kind of, it was a weird appointment, you have to say. I don't think anybody in, in confidence could say, "Oh, Diego Alonso, great appointment." I know exactly what he wants to do as a manager, but yeah, we can say for sure emotionally, he's he's a good fit. I don't know if you saw the team top before the game, but it was uh, he was in that super sharp suit and he he looked the part and he was looking at all his players in the eyes and saying you know there are there are two types of people in this world 
people who see uh, blood in a street fight and run and, and others who uh, <laughs> who fight back. And it was like, geez, I mean, oh. fair, fair player. This this guy this guy is convincing. Does he know that he's talking to Sergio Ramos here, man? Don't be giving him any more. Just you, you, Sergio Ramos needs to be doing mindful meditation before games, not being revved up like that. But I will say, just on Ramos, he he did really well. We talked about him fouling Bellingham a couple of times, and and kind of he, he was he was just perfectly. He just had it right. I I felt like Ramos was perfectly um, on the line where where sometimes he used to go over it, but I think maybe. In his late thirties now, or his mid thirties, he's finally matured as a player. And the same against Arsenal, just it's the kind of big games. They were the kind of big games where Ramos usually comes out and does something ridiculous, sees some blood on the on the street, and just starts kicking people. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I thought he was fine. But yeah, we'll be back next week for the classical, the the post classical tactical pod, and um, that's a, quite a mouthful. But yeah, best of luck to Leeds on Saturday, Jamie. And we'll see you next week, or we'll be in your ears next week. And from us, it's adios. <laughs>